This morning we continue with our series, How Does Jesus See It?, as we look at um, these various ways that Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John, uh, encounters people and, and sees the world differently and challenges our way of thinking. Uh, the, nowhere could be more true uh, than this kind of culmination of all of these stories that we have read. We've, we've, we've traveled through Jesus and Nicodemus in John 3 and in John 4, the woman at the well, and in John 9, Jesus healing the blind man, and now here in John 11, with the story of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. I invite you to hear these words from John, the 11th chapter. A certain man, Lazarus, was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister Martha. This was the Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, the, the one whom you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness isn't fatal. It's for the glory of God, so that God's Son can be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was. After two days, he said to his disciples, let's return to Judea again. The disciples replied, Rabbi, the Jewish opposition wants to stone you, but do you want to go back? Jesus answered, aren't there 12 hours in the day? Whoever walks in the day doesn't stumble because they see the light of the world. But whoever walks in the night does stumble because the light isn't in them. He continued, our friend Lazarus is sleeping, but I am going in order to wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will get well. They thought Jesus meant that Lazarus was in a deep sleep, but Jesus had spoken about Lazarus' death. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you can believe. Let's go to him. Then Thomas, the one called Didymus, said to the other disciples, let us go too so that we may die with Jesus. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was a little less than two miles from Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to comfort Martha and Mary after their brother's death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, while Mary remained in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha replied, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She replied, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, God's Son, the one who is coming into the world. After she said this, she went and spoke privately to her sister Mary. The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to Jesus. He hadn't entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were comforting Mary in the house saw her get up quickly and leave, they followed her. They assumed she was going to mourn at the tomb. When Mary arrived where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying also, he was deeply disturbed and troubled. He asked, where have you laid him? 
They replied, come and see. Jesus began to cry. The Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, he healed the eyes of the man born blind. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was deeply disturbed again when he came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone covered the entrance. Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, the smell will be awful. He's been dead four days. Jesus replied, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see God's glory? So they removed the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here, so that they will believe that you sent me. Having said this, Jesus shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his feet bound and his hands tied and his face covered with a cloth. Jesus said to them, untie him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came with Mary and saw what Jesus did believed in him. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. About 10 days ago, I woke up at 4.30 in the morning and made the mistake of opening up Google News on my phone. Sleep was officially over from that point on. Every story, every link about the coronavirus. It wasn't the media's fault. They were just reporting the reality that is out there. But I felt my heart start pounding more and more, and then I felt my mind racing, and it all could not stop. I did the lie in bed for the next two hours and try to sleep, but turn over and try to tell my mind something else, but nothing works, trick. I'm not sharing this because I think I'm personally strange in this case, although we know I am. It's because I think we are all feeling some form of this right now. Scott Baranato wrote a fantastic piece this week in the Harvard Business Review entitled, That Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief. I got to this article about three days later than everyone else because in the midst of this grief, I had to delete the Facebook app from my phone so that I wouldn't be caught in the struggle of it. But in the interview, Scott interviews David Kessler, who co-developed the five stages of grief with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. He speaks about what we are feeling right now. He says the loss of normalcy, the fear of economic toll, the, co the loss of connection. This is hitting us and we're grieving collectively. We are not used to this kind of collective grief in the air. End quote. Collective grief. That's it. That's definitely part of what I'm feeling. I was in the grocery store on Friday morning, and every time that I go now, it's eerier and eerier. Everyone is plenty pleasant to one another, but it is quiet. No one is talking. Everyone is trying not to get their cart too close to someone else's. 
And we all have the same sense that this is strange. And we're all feeling it. We just don't really know how to feel it. And it feels strange to feel it because we don't necessarily have any direct contacts we know with the virus. Which is why David Kessler names another type of grief in this article. He calls it anticipatory grief. He says, anticipatory grief is that feeling we get about what the future holds when we're uncertain. Usually it centers on death. With a virus, this kind of grief is so confusing for people. Our primitive mind knows something bad is happening, but you can't see it. This breaks our sense of safety. We're feeling that loss of safety. I don't think we've collectively lost our sense of general safety like this. Individually or as smaller groups, people have felt this. But altogether, this is new. End quote. I think in some degree or another, each of us has felt anticipatory grief in some way in these last few weeks. Now, we may have dealt with it in one or more of the various stages of grief that Kessler developed with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. We may have denied it. Oh, this virus won't be so bad. Or we may be angry. Why is this happening? Why so much loss of every kind right now? Or we may bargain. Okay, if I social distance good enough, and we all do, then, then the universe will just magically drop the virus, right? Or we may feel sadness. There are a lot of people, not just numbers, experiencing loss and death. Finally, some people may be moving towards acceptance. This is the new normal. I have to figure out a way to live and keep it going. Most likely you feel multiple of these stages in a given day. But I found it freeing and very helpful to call this feeling grief. I cannot deal every moment with the bad news that comes in. My mind and body cannot process it all and still do the things that I need to do. This is not just stress. This is stress and anxiety that is induced by grief. If you hear nothing else today, I hope you can hear this. Whatever you are feeling is okay. Don't try to deny those feelings or think I shouldn't have those feelings. Feelings are not sinful. Anxiety during this time doesn't mean a lack of faith. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were particularly close friends of Jesus. It seems like they may have been friends before Jesus' ministry even started. We don't get the sense that many people could send Jesus a personal messenger like this and expect that he would just come immediately. But that's just what Mary and Martha did. But Jesus stays behind, the story tells us. He loved them. And he stayed where he was for an extra two days. He tells the disciples, right, that Lazarus is sleeping and that he must go and wake him up. Sleeping was a phrase used to describe someone dying, sort of like how we use the term passed away. But the disciples, of course, don't get it and respond that Lazarus will wake up on his own. Then Jesus makes it clear to them that Lazarus is dead. So Jesus travels to Bethany, 
And Martha goes to greet Jesus on the road. She's probably angry. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's clearly in her right to be angry. She knew that Jesus healed the blind man. And he was just a random man. And Lazarus is his dear friend. How could Jesus just stay behind when he was only two miles away? Mary felt the same anger and disbelief. Her first words to Jesus are the identical ones as her sister's. Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. They both feel this stage of grief known as anger. Yet Martha has this glimpse of hope. It is as if she is almost on to the bargaining stage of grief. For she says, even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. Martha knows that Jesus could do something. And Jesus responds to her that your brother will rise again. Martha responds like a faithful Jewish woman. I know he will in the resurrection on the last day. Martha's theology is spot on. Jesus then continues with a remarkable statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is stepping up this conversation because he is now claiming to be the resurrection. In this claim, he is essentially claiming to be God. And he is saying that Martha's theology is correct, but that these are the days of the resurrection. And if someone believes in Jesus, places trust in him, then they will never die. And Martha responds in faith, I believe you are the Christ, God's son, the one who is coming into the world. We don't learn as much about Mary's theology, but what we know about Mary is that she is grieving. She breaks down in front of Jesus, and so do all of the friends and community who have gathered around her. In Jewish culture, when a loved one dies, the relatives practice with them what is called sitting shiva. The closest relatives literally sit in their homes for a week while the community comes to mourn with them. We see that the community experienced collective grief over Lazarus' death. They were joining Mary in her sadness. The community was in the sadness stage of grief. They could not believe that Lazarus had died so young. I picture them saying to one another, I was with him at dinner just last month. He was only 34, so much life ahead of him. How are these two sisters going to survive life without him? So this community gathers around Mary and Martha, and Jesus comes. And they say, see how much he loved him. And others say to one another, he healed a blind man. Couldn't he have done the same for his friend Lazarus? There is no hope for this community at this time. They know that Lazarus is really dead. In the King James, as the stone is going to be rolled away from the tomb, Martha says to Jesus, he stinketh. Four days mean that he was really, really dead. He stinketh. 
The community experienced collective grief. And Jesus, the whole time, knew exactly what he was going to do. For when he found out at the beginning of the story that Lazarus was sick, he said, this illness isn't fatal. It's for the glory of God so that God's Son can be glorified through it. While knowing all of this, Jesus, however, goes to the grave and begins to weep. Twice in this passage, it tells us that Jesus was deeply disturbed. Jesus knows what he is going to do, and yet he still feels our grief. David Kessler writes this. He states, There is something powerful about naming this, the COVID-19 situation, as grief. It helps us feel what's inside of us. So many have told me in the past week, I'm telling my coworkers I'm having a hard time, or I cried last night. When you name it, you feel it, and it moves through you. Emotions need motion. It's important we acknowledge what we go through. End quote. Jesus gives us permission to feel. Many kids grew up with John 11:35 as their favorite Bible verse because it was two words. Jesus wept. But it may be one of the most important verses in Scripture because it reminds us of the humanity that God has taken upon God's very self. He is acknowledging his feelings and is able to move through them. And what Jesus does in the midst of his grief and in the midst of our grief is what Kessler has named the sixth stage of grief. He actually added one more. He finds meaning in it. Once we come to the point of acceptance in our grief, Kessler says, we find ourselves wanting to find some form of meaning. It is not that we are ignoring the pain that we have felt. It is that God has made us to be people of hope and joy. So what Jesus does in dramatic fashion is the undoing of death. He tells Lazarus to come out. And Lazarus, still bound up like a mummy, hops out of the tomb. Untie him and let him go. Death cannot hold Lazarus anymore. Neither can it hold you and me. Death will not be able to hold Jesus in just a couple of weeks because Jesus brings life into dead places. How does Jesus see it? Jesus sees life where there is death. Jesus sees the possibility of Lazarus being alive even when Lazarus is clearly dead. This makes a difference in our lives in two distinct ways. First, in literal resurrection. Friends, we believe in the resurrection of the body. As followers of Jesus, our most central claim is that because Jesus lives, we will live forever with him. Death is not the end. So this story of Lazarus comes in the midst of Lent as a reminder of what is to come. In the midst of death and grief and anxiety and unknown, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The second way this makes a difference is on this level. 
on the dead places of our lives. We all have places in our lives that seem dead. Relationships that are broken and feel beyond repair. Dreams that we had that have long been dashed. Places in our hearts that are saddened and depressed. Yet, Jesus comes into those places and brings life. He comes into any place that seems dead and helps us to see resurrection. This is not wishful thinking or the power of positive thinking. It is what Jesus does. So Lord, help us to see your resurrection all around us. In our grief-stricken hearts, give us your meaning. Help us to believe that you are the resurrection and you are life. Amen.